Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We need to pray for that uh, prophetic invitation of Isaiah and all that comes with it. Ceasing of wars to come to fulfillment. Lord, have mercy. Help us and speak to us afresh through your word today, we pray. And help me with this word. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's an invitation and it's a wondrous one. So I'm wondering, what, um, what brings out the best in you? What is it that causes you to think, better put on my best bib and tuck, make a good impression, people are watching. Perhaps it's the mother-in-law coming to stay, I don't know. Or the mother. <laughs> Things always seem a little bit cleaner. Um, perhaps it's, you know, when, you, when you've got a test coming up, an exam, I remember when we were doing the um, citizenship thing, Man, I spent months listening to these 100 questions I was going to be tested on. I could tell you them up top to bottom, bottom to top, back to front. And um, I'm less interested now, I notice. I think I could probably still answer most of the questions. However, there was a focus there. Maybe some of you, you know when you have to go and do that blood test? You find yourself just eating a little better or maybe not drinking what you might so that things come out nice? No? Oh, maybe it's just me. One of my favorite lines, we had, we had a good line from a movie recently. Oh, actually, I showed it on a Sunday night. You all didn't see that. That was the you can't handle the truth line. But another movie I kind of enjoyed was As Good As It Gets, Jack Nicholson. Anyone see that? And he's a miserable old geezer, isn't he? I mean, he is just downright unpleasant. But he goes on a date with the waitress. And he criticizes her dress. Well, he criticizes the fact that he has to go and buy a coat and tie to him sit down. And she gets away with the house coat. And she's about to leave. And she says, I need a compliment. And he stumbles around. Eventually he says, you make me want to be a better man. Don't you love that? Right on. <laughs> what makes you want to be a better man? You know, we're in this season of Advent, we're anticipating, we're looking forward to the return of Christ, the fullness of the promise, the fulfillment. And Paul writes, because in our passage we had, and do this, well, do what? Well, it's really back to the beginning of this whole section, which is in the beginning of chapter 12, where he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I want to know what worship is like. It's not the singing of songs. That helps us bring us to a place where we might worship. Worship is the offering of our bodies, of our lives, of everything. That song we sang about, that surrender to Him in view of His mercy. I urge you. So, Paul begins in our passage in Romans, and do this. What helps us do that? What helps you potentially do that? That's what I want us to wrestle with and think about. And firstly, he says, to understand the times. As Christians, as followers of Christ, it's so important that we understand the present time. The hour has come. The day is almost here. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. These are all phrases Paul uses. This is the in a way, the, the unique and glorious aspect to the Christian faith that we find in none other. Paul appeals to 
what theologians like to call eschatology. The eschaton, the end times. It's the invitation to recognize that there is a day coming which the people of God go, woohoo! There is a day, the day of the Lord. It's a fearful day. It's a day of judgment. But it's a day of righting of wrongs. It's a day in which is our hope. And it's a day that should make a difference today, I believe, if we live in the light of it and understanding about it. I would say this is one of the unique motivations within our Christian faith for how we should live. Doctrine, teaching should make a difference. What goes on in our head should begin to translate into both what we we feel in our hearts and we practice with our lives. Doctrine and practice go together. Now the Gospel began, if we go back to say Mark's Gospel with this pronouncement by Jesus, the time has come. You see, there's times and seasons. There's purpose and planning in the mind and heart of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent is that word of turning, changing your mind, reorienting your life. Have you reoriented your life to this truth that the kingdom of God has come near, that the king that we celebrated last week has come and he's coming back? And repent isn't just the way into this life of the kingdom. It's the way on and moving and growing in the life of the, of the kingdom. It's a continual process. Having died and been raised as we sung about, Jesus ascended into heaven where the angels told us from where he is coming back. He will come again, as we declare in the creed sometimes, to judge the living and the dead. He's the king, you see. Our hope is in that. Is your hope in that? Or is that a terrible thing? It is somewhat terrible, even if we have hope. Paul puts it like this in, when he writes to the Thessalonians. Because they were, they were kind of hearing that maybe he'd come back already and they'd missed it. They weren't too sure because there were other people who were coming. And Paul wants to reassure them again about their hope in this. And he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Sounds a bit like the first coming, doesn't it? To the angels. Well, I thought so anyway. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Sounds like quite a ride, doesn't it? If any are going to be taken, perhaps it's the redeemed, not the lost to be with the Lord. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Today you will be with Him in paradise. The goal is to be with Him. This is eternal life, to know Him, the Father and Him who He sent, to be with them. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Are you encouraged this morning, being reminded that the Lord is coming? Because is that a part of your hope? Is your hope for this world only and things going well? Or is your hope in the kingdom of God and the full establishment of that when Jesus returns? That's what God wants us to have hope in. Because now we live between the times. We live between his first coming, which led to his death, 
for our sins and His resurrection by the Father for our everlasting life and His return. And that means there's darkness as well as light. There's struggle as well as success. There's pain as well as healing. There's sadness as well as joy. God has not promised that upon the earth before His return that everything will go well. Sometimes we get tokens of that out of His grace and goodness. But our understanding about the comings of Jesus is meant to shape how we view the world and how we understand it and therefore how we live within it. Like the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. That testimony to the, the people of faith in the, under the old covenant who yet gave of themselves and gave of their lives very often. And like them, we too are looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Now Jesus has inaugurated, it's begun. The kingdom is near. But one day, it will be fulfilled. That is our hope. And whether it's before we die or after we die, this is our destiny. So in light of that, what are we to do? as an expression of our worship. Well, Paul says, put aside the deeds of darkness. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Because we live with these two realities, these two kingdoms, if you like. The Bible often uses this metaphor. In fact, it's shot through with this understanding about light and darkness. And night or darkness is used to reflect this present age in which we live. An age that is passing away. For the day is almost here. But right now there is night. And we live in that period. We shouldn't be overtaken or surprised by that. Because this is not our hope. We are not building our lives here alone. But we're building with a few to the future. If we're followers of Christ. If our hope is in Him. Jesus, in His conversation with Nicodemus... And he was trying to explain some of this to him. And he was a religious leader, but he was confused. He says, light has come into the world. The world needed light. My life needed light. I was walking in darkness. I couldn't figure it out for myself. I couldn't change myself. I couldn't reorient myself. And I am thankful that light came into the world. However, Jesus says, people loved darkness. This is the norm. Even the world at its best is darkness. Because people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We are at heart self-centered. Just a horrible thing. This Again, London, London Bridge struck. Actually, in the context of trying to rehabilitate somebody who then kills the young man who's leading that workshop and then goes out and attacks others. Horrendous. As much as light tries to shine, there's darkness. It's a reality because men love darkness. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Sometimes that keeps us from Jesus because we're fearful that if He knew us and if it, if it were known who I am. But what's sad sometimes as Christians we still live as if in the darkness and in the shadows. But we don't have to, for there's no shame. He's taken that. Don't allow the enemy to rob us of that. 
You see, this darkness, it's not just about behavior. There's a power to it that's tangible and real. It's the blindness that has come upon mankind, we're told elsewhere. And John, in his letter, summarizes it for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. We're raised in this context, in this environment, we're affected and infected by this reality that we lust for what our eyes see, we desire. That's not just a physical, sexual thing, that's whatever we would want out of the pride of our lives. We are a prideful people. And we are drawn to darkness because of it. Is what the scripture says. What Jesus said about humankind. And it's why he came. Not to judge. The first time. That's good news. You see, because for the Christian, for the, the person who surrenders his or her life, who dies to self, the pride of life, and who embraces Christ, And all that he represents and all that he means. And his great love for us. Paul says the Father has rescued us from the dominion, the rule, the power, the authority of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Hallelujah. This is a reality. Does this stir something up in you? Actually, last Sunday was Stir Up Sunday. Anybody remember Stir Up Sunday? Stir up our wills, O Lord, because we need stirring. We settle back. We sit back. We get caught up in stuff. We get distracted by the darkness because it's still a part of us. Even though we've been translated or taken out of darkness into light, we're still in the two realms, the two places. We're still subject to being enticed if we allow ourselves to. So we've got to be proactive about this. We've been called out of darkness, Peter says, out of a world that is under the control of the evil one. And if you're not sure about that, I mean, just read the news, just look around. Just realize how how lost, how disoriented we are in our culture. I had a recent experience. I was... I, I, I really don't like these crossings, these walkways over the roads here that have no lights, and when it's dark and rainy, and my eyes not great, I sometimes don't see people. In fact, very often we drive along, and Carol says, People! <laughs> it's the sign. There are people walking across the road. Help me out. Well, I was on my own. And I'm turning left to go along Wallace to the Echo Center, and, you know, 10th, there's traffic coming my way. It's raining. It's, um, it's getting dark. It's darkish. And I'm so focused on the traffic. As I turn in the gap, I didn't realize there were people walking across the road. I felt, ter- I mean, I stopped. I didn't hit anyone or run over. I wasn't going fast because I was turning from standing start. And I opened my window to apologize. To say, I am so sorry. I just, and I just got a mouthful. Effing this, effing that, effing you, effing whatever. Welcome. Thank you. I know I made a mistake. But you see, that's what happens when we're prodded. What comes out? Darkness darkness. But is that true of you? Are we walking in the light? The darkness is also a darkness of ignorance. It's brought about, it's a consequence of the fall. We don't understand, we don't see it. 
And so Paul again in Ephesians, he says, you must, not li- you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, that's just a reference to non-believers. But you must not live as they do in the futility of their thinking. We've been looking on Sunday nights about the mind and the thought patterns and the way we interpret and understand the world. And we believe lies. Even as believers, it's a struggle, which is why we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. That's the consequence of worship, is that we'll allow truth to change our thinking because we've got to get out of the futility of our old mindset. Paul says they're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see, how we think and believe and interpret and the condition of our hearts, the emotions, messes with us big time. And a lot of that behavior I experienced in that little incident that I described is because of futility of thinking and hardness of heart. And that's what comes out. That's where I was. That's where I could be again if I allow myself. That's why I need to be taking in light and truth. And so our world, I think, there's despair. There's hopelessness. There's massive discouragement. There's absolute terror about the thought of death and avoidance of it at all costs. Let's get rid of it out of, out of sight even. There used to be a time where when somebody died, you know, the coffin would come out of the house. It'd be in the community. We're reminded of we're a people who die. But we're a people who are eternal as well. We need not be fearful of death, but the world is fearful of death. And at its very best, the brightness of the world is only an artificial light which glows and then fades quickly. So we must put aside darkness. We must put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, the sinful nature, as Paul says. Drunkenness, don't get drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery, it's kind of lost really. Having what I want, seeing it, wanting it, taking it. And dissension, strife, infighting. We've been subject to that. You see, darkness can so easily encroach if we allow it to. We are not free from it all. We're still in a world in which there's two realities. And we're told to put aside the deeds of darkness, dissension and strife. But it's not just about what we avoid. In fact, it's not even primarily about that. It's what we focus on and what we embrace and take up. And Paul says, put on. Like, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you got up this morning, did you think about putting on Jesus? Oh, well, you're just so cold, I've just got to get my socks and pants and anything done to make me feel better. It's cold in the bedroom. It's cold in life without Him. It's dark without Him. How do we do that? What does that really mean? Well, we don't do it ourselves. We don't work this up ourselves. We don't figure it out for ourselves. We don't try to do better. It's not human effort, not by power or might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We've got to learn to receive the gift that's given as we submit and ask. Help me, Lord. I'm yours. You're my Father. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When was the last time you asked for the fullness of His Spirit? That's a sign of a desire to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of Christ, you see. It's His light. It's His power. It comes from asking. 
It starts with the new birth. That's what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He must be born from above. He must receive something from God. And he wants to give. Oh my goodness, does God want to give? It's rooted in our faith in the cross and what Jesus did for us in that place. Remember, our salvation in the past. Remember that sermon I did a couple, two or three weeks ago? We were saved. We were justified. That means we were declared not guilty. The stain of sin was removed. We don't have to worry about that again. It's not to say we won't sin. Because John also, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. The truth's not in you. It's very confusing. But that's a different aspect of salvation. And our hope in the resurrection. It's this experience of the Spirit. Wait till you've been clothed with power from on high. Have you been clothed with power from on high? Have you got the clothes that go with the promise? Or are you just carrying about the promise? Really, genuinely. Interesting, in Acts 19, when Paul meets a group of disciples in Ephesus, he says, when you believed, when you became a disciple, did you receive? Did you receive the Spirit? Have you received? Have you got the clothing? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is the light that has come into the darkness. This is the glory of God. A human being, Jesus of Nazareth, indwelt by the eternal Spirit, the God-man. The, the God who... I love that line. He speaks ten billion stars. Oh my goodness. With the breath of his mouth. And he's become a baby. So much does he love us and want to clothe us. Does, it, does some of this capture our hearts? Are we animated? Are we hungry? Whoever follows me, Jesus says, will never walk in darkness. What a promise. But you've got to follow him. That's the path. It was the path to Jerusalem that took to the Christ. the same path. We've got to follow him. We're called to follow him, not believe in him only. In fact, believing in nothing else is worse. We're like the demons who believe and tremble. We've got to follow him because when we do, we never walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. So a part of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is to follow him, is to choose him, is to say yes to him and to his ways. What we bring to that is in the text here, we've got to wake up from our slumber. Wake up, church. Stir it up. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. A passion for your name. Stir it up. Paul writes to Timothy, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of hands. Stir up this life of the Spirit. Wake up. Understand the times. Understand the battle that we're involved in. Jude says this. It's a little book. It's one chapter. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You see, we're, in the wait we're waiting for the promise, the fulfillment, His return. And in the meantime, we don't sit passively by. Oh my goodness, no. We will be over if you sit and stand still, the darkness will overtake you, Jesus said. We have a responsibility, an obligation perhaps. Build yourselves up in your faith. Talk about the faith. Read about the faith. Meet with fellow light bearers, the people of God. 
experience authentic fellowship, shared life, shared struggle, pray for one another, celebrate together. You're all looking at me a bit strange. I know, I get a bit carried away with this stuff. But let us not, let us not miss the reality of the times that we're in and how sadly very often the church is being overcome by darkness because of a, a lack of self-examination, a lack of stirring up. Paul says, examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Don't presume. That's a dangerous thing to do. Am I living according to Christ and his teaching? Do I love to read the Gospels? I've invited you through this season of Advent, 24 days of, you know the old calendar? 24 days before Christmas Day, the, the Gospel of Luke is a Gospel of 24 chapters. We've been reading most of it. We started in chapter 9. Start again, chapter 1, today, and read a chapter a day and invite the Lord to speak to you. Talk to your friends about it. Tell them what you're reading. Read it with another. I don't know, whatever floats your boat. We're in a nautical area, aren't we? I worked with a guy in Arkansas who was actually from South Carolina. He used to love that expression. I never heard it before I went to Arkansas. kind of like it. Whatever floats your boat. So, what floats your boat? You are in a battle. You need, as Paul says, an armor of light. It's not just so we play the light games. It's so that we would be protected from the darkness. Because we're not perfect. Neither is anyone around you. We are not without sin. We are not separated from the battle. We are not fully sanctified. That's the ongoing work that the Spirit is doing in us. We are being saved. If you're not sure about that, go back to the sermon I preached on that. Super important. But we're doing it in light of our future salvation. There's a salvation to come. It's, it's our glorification. It's when we're removed from the very presence of sin, not just the pollution of it. That is our hope. I hope it's yours. So let's pursue light in relation to one another. I'm a relationship man. And I know I'm talking a lot about this. But I think that's the means of God's light most often is through one another. Because Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Make every effort, Paul says. No, this isn't Paul's word. Peter says this. Make every effort. So again, we've got it there. You've got to, you know, build yourselves up. This is the bit we do ourselves. God has given everything we need for godliness. Therefore, Peter says, make every effort. Shake it up. I'm praying that the Lord would shake us up. For good. Make every effort to add to your faith. You see, this is why faith isn't enough. It's a, it's a foundation. It's foundation to everything. Trusting in God. But we've got to add something to it. He says, what? Goodness. Oh my goodness. To goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. And mutual affection, love. The expectation, we would, these would be an increasing measure upon us because they're the armor. They're what it means to be clothed with light, with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to bear His nature. It's to look like Him. It's to smell like Him. And when people ask you what Jesus is like, you say, look at me. <laughs> no, seriously. For us to know what God is like, we look at Jesus of Nazareth because He's indwelt by the eternal Spirit. So are you. And people can notice. In fact, we, if we have a gospel that doesn't change us into the likeness of Christ, we, we have no gospel. We have no witness. 
We have no power. And I don't think we have much of a promise. But we do have those things if we respond, if we clothe ourselves. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There it is again, our fellowship with one another, our love for one another, what we have and what we are together as our protection and as our very life. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Maybe this might be the very ultimate measure of our faith. By this shall all men know that the light has come into the world. How you love one another. How you love one another. How we demonstrate that we're his followers. And we do this because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I first believed a little over 36 years ago. I'm still waiting, but it's nearer. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. Come, Lord, you are our only hope. Come now, pour out your light and your spirit whilst we wait. Strengthen us with your clothing and with your presence. Ignite a passion in us for your name and for your glory. As we pray for Jerusalem, may we pray for the church. May we pray for Jericho Road. May we pray for light. May we have courage to put aside the deeds of darkness, to recognize from what they are are and repent. Turn away. Turn away. We have it within us. He's called Jesus. Let's pray. In fact, if you can, why don't you stand? Please. Thank you, Lord, that your light has come. As Isaiah says elsewhere, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. This is a day that kings and prophets long to see, and we're living in them. Lord, ignite a passion in our hearts for you. Cause us to hate sin, to hate the deeds of darkness, and to love righteousness to love truth, to love the light, to be people of the light and drawn ever ever closer to you, Lord, and to one another. Come, Holy Spirit. Shake all that needs to be shaken, Lord. Expose all that need, that we may confess it, acknowledge it, and turn from it. Make us a people, Lord, who love you and desire only your glory, who fear you, Lord, because you're the Lord of glory, the Holy One but not a fear that causes us to pull back, but a fear that draws us near in reverence and awe and wonder of this great God, the creator of all things, but the one who's become like us, that we would know him and that we would be clothed in him. Change us, O God, we pray. And cause love to abound. As Paul writes, you do love one another, but I encourage you, do so more and more. Let that increase. Let us add to our faith those aspects of your clothing, of your nature, of your character, Lord, that light may shine and we may withstand and turn from the darkness. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen.